Hello, hello, and welcome to the Faces of Food podcast. I'm Fabrice the Clerk, and I'm here with Mushab Nursantio, who is the co-founder of Pipeback. And so we're going to talk a bit about uh, Mushab's uh, projects. But uh, let's start with uh, just having you, Mushab. Welcome to, to the podcast, and tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. So excited to be here. And yeah, so my name is Mushab Nursantio. I'm uh, from Indonesia, but currently living in Singapore. I started this company called Biteback. So Biteback is an insect biorefinery company. We are aiming to reduce the dependency towards palm oil by creating a nutrient-dense, more sustainable alternative made of edible insects. Fantastic. So we're going to talk about insects as part of the solution. But let's uh, let's just warm up a little bit. And, and you know, when you get up in the morning, what's what starts your routine? What's uh, what's the food that gets you going, gets you ready for the day, or is breakfast not uh, not the meal for you? I would say I'm not really a morning person, so. Most of the time, I just skip breakfast. <sighs> so my routine in the morning would be get up, clean up myself, and just go to the office. Just go there, no coffee, nor tea, uh, no tea, no tropical fruit from Southeast Asia? I usually have my coffee when I arrive at the office, and yeah. All right, well, let's let's see if you're eating something better for lunch as we get to, through the progression. So, so tell us, what brings you here to, to Stockholm? First of all, I'm uh, really passionate uh, about food and sustainability, my background in agriculture technology. I also started a company working in this field as well. And it's just so really such a great event to connect with people in the same industry. And also it's a good place to learn the, the new trends and what's new in the, in the development of the new science behind it. You are actually one of these new new trends. And so we're going to talk about that in a second. But so just, I mean, just to remind folks that, you know, what, what we're, we've been trying to do with the Atlantic Commission is to remind people just the role of food in terms of uh, both providing healthy diets, but also the, the role of food to bring us within safe environmental limits. And you coming from, from Indonesia and Singapore, you're, you're at the heart of one of the critical uh, environmental uh, challenges. And, and how is it that we save enough land, particularly tropical forests, uh, both as a means of addressing climate change, but also as a means of protecting biodiversity. And, and if I understand right, one of the uh, inspirations for your work really has been how to address this deforestation challenge and the role in, in new uh, food products uh, that can help us to provide that food more efficiently, but also take some pressure off of these natural resources. Yeah, so the main problem that we are addressing is, uh, of course, the deforestation because currently Indonesia is the largest producer of palm oil has been cleared millions of rainforests every year. And palm oil is, it seems like uh, nowadays couldn't be avoidable. It's everywhere. It could be found in almost half all packaged items in supermarket. And it seems unlikely that we see the demand will decrease as uh, population also continue to grow. That's why we're developing this uh, solution. The main reason is also why palm oil is such a big uh, use in the industry because, I mean, compared to other vegetable oil, they are actually more sustainable because they have better yield requirements, fertilizer, pesticide, and energy input. So if we move towards other vegetable oil, it will be create the same problem or even worse in other parts of the world. So yeah, more, that, more land, right? Yeah. So one of the things about palm oil is that you can produce a, a lot of oil on a very small land footprint. Uh, our concern is that 
that land is land that has very high carbon and, and biodiversity value. Yeah. So, so you, you, you know, a lot of us talk about food transitions and there's been a lot of interest in, in insects. And, uh, for those of us who come from, from the Western part of the world, we're not used to thinking about insects as a, as a source of food. Except in France, we do eat uh, snails and people forget that maybe those are, are somewhat related. But your, your solution uh, speaks to the role of insects, but more insects as a, as a supplement or something can bring that without directly consuming the insects themselves. Yeah. So actually, you're not realizing it. You're already eating insects because it's been part of some of the crops that we eat every day and it's unavoidable in some of our processed food. So in general, we, are more focused on developing the lipid-based product. The main point why we using insect is because they have better efficiency. For example, compared to palm oil, we can produce 150 tons of oil per hectare per year compared to palm oil only 4 tons per year. So it's up to 37 times more yield. And... Uh, so, I mean, but this, so when people think about insects and insects in food and insects in feed, we've, we've been used to talking about protein, but you're telling us that actually they may be more valuable in terms of the oils they produce than in the proteins they produce. Is, is that right? We kind of more focus on the local problem that we have trying to solve, but eventually we will use the protein as well as uh, animal feed. So there's already some application of edible insects for, for example, livestock and aquaculture feed, uh, like black soldier fly and mealworm. They are actually better protein than conventional fish meal. There are some also properties in this insect that have antimicrobial properties that could also help reducing the use of antibiotics. So there's one application in, in the livestock, which means we don't necessarily to eat it directly, but it's created a lot of impacts well in our food system. So you could eat, you could eat poultry, which has been raised on insect meal, and that insect meals or those insects were raised on food waste or, yeah. or processing waste. And so it's it's very circular in terms yeah. of approach. That sounds fantastic. But I mean, if you eat it directly as well, some species are just really delicious. And in, what's what's your favorite? So my favorite is sagworm. They are just so juicy and fatty. And if it, especially if it's grilled, so it's really delicacy in eastern part of Indonesia, and I was born as well in in eastern part of Indonesia, and in Java Island we eat grasshopper and termites as well, and yeah, if you go move out to to Southeast Asia in Thailand or Cambodia, they eat way more insects. Than even, even more. So next year at the food forum, I think we need to have some of those on our, on our place to challenge uh, those who are here and to to introduce them to a very new new form of food. Let, let's go back to to bite back. So tell us a bit about bite back and and how you see the work that you're doing. Let's talk a little bit about the oils. Who's using them? How are they using them? And what are some of the challenges that you see in terms of getting this really integrated, embedded in supply chains, and really being able to then show uh, what impact we might potential impact we might have in terms of providing, I think, the raw ingredients for food while contributing to to environment. What's what's a bit the vision of bite back, and where do you see this going? Yeah, so we've talked a little bit about the benefits using insect oil. So at Bedback, we are more focused on developing the technology in refining the extracted fats. So our technology could also be used for other existing insect protein company because the production could be integrated uh, from based on protein isolation. So we refine these extracted fats into highly functional ingredients for industry, like for food application, for example, like cooking oil and butter. 
And for now, which which insect are you guys using in Ipac? So at in at Batback we are using uh, Zopobas morio. It's darkling beetle larvae. Darkling beetle larvae. Yep. Okay, cool. I'm biodiversity specialist, and I have not seen this yet, so I need to come visit you and uh, get to know this species. Yeah. And yeah, we able to produce these food ingredients that has no difference in characteristic with other conventional oils that we already using. So there's no difference in taste, color, and texture. So it's easily incorporated in food products. So so next year it's going to be olive oil, palm oil, and darkling beetle oil. What, what do you call what do you call your oil? Insect oil. Insect so, oil. Yeah, so basically we don't have a consumer-facing product yet, so uh, we haven't come up with that term yet. But yeah, we, because we are a B2B company, so we are... So yeah. B2B is business to business. Business yeah. to business, yeah. What are some of the kinds of companies that you're you're working with who are interested in, in this oil? Yeah, we are not allowed to disclose it, but we are currently working with six global CPGs and... CPGs, sorry? Consumer Packaged Goods Great. Company and other ingredient manufacturers as well. So they combine these uh, six companies, they consume more than 2 million tons of palm oil every year. 2 million tons. Yeah, so if we yeah, so able just to replace one percent of that it's already good business for us and maybe huge impact as well for the environment that would probably have quite a bit of impact we're getting get marco springman to to do the the land modeling impact on that for us so this year yeah so that's the food application we also do non-food uh ingredients for example fatty alcohol for cosmetics shampoo other personal care products and as well as biofuel What's, what do you think are some of the biggest barriers to getting technologies like yours to become mainstream so that they have the, the impact that, that I think you're articulating quite well? Yeah, the main challenge is to scale up the production because this is really new industry and there's no existing supply chain. So as a more downstream focused company, we have this problem in supplying uh, the ingredients. So, and yeah, there's a lot of other insect companies working on that. In the upstream side, so they do automation in farming and stuff, but they are still also in, in early development. So hopefully we, as we develop together, we will tackle that challenge. Fantastic. So let's let's segue into uh, the Atlantic Commission a little bit. So as you know, uh, the commission's proposed a, a, a universal uh, but not uniform diet, which would allow us to have both health impact and uh, uh, environmental impact. Insects weren't on that plate, and and uh, I'd like to hear from you whether that's a an omission that we need to rectify. But have you tried the uh, the planetary health diet? Yeah, I've, I've tried the planetary diet, and it's. Uh... What's your plate when you're when you're eating planetary health? I mean, it's already similar like most current diet in Indonesia, mostly because we use meat not necessarily as the main course, but side dish. So the main dish is mostly rice, right? And meat is a condiment, yeah. Yeah, meat are the condiments, and, and so we eat together with vegetable, nuts, and tempeh, for example. So yeah, it's it's not that hard to follow the diet because traditionally in Indonesia we already have similar kind of proportion. And do you, I mean, do you, I mean, do you find people in Indonesia are, are struggling to maintain traditional diet? Is there a temptation to move towards an unhealthy diet? Or, or uh, I mean, as you say, you know, when, when I was in Indonesia, I was talking to a group of, of young students and they're asking us, what, what's the solution? I said, well, actually, the Indonesian diet, just as you articulated, is a fantastic example of uh, what the plant-based health diet looks like. Do you see challenges in maintaining that? Or, or is that now mainstream and, and well-established? I mean, if we see the general population, I think it's still maintainable. 
But if you look at the trend, as well, the main challenge is the shift of demand for more Western diet because uh, the increasing urbanization and income in this region. So the, with the campaign, I think it's also a, a good way to influence these people that started to get better economically to look, oh, actually good as well for the planet. So. And are you, so are you putting insects on your plate? I rarely eat insects. Uh, daily, but for the oil, I I use it most of the time. But for actual insect, I maybe once a week. I eat insect mostly as snacks instead of a part of the main dish. Snack, snack food. Yeah, great. So I think for Indonesia, one of the uh, one of the hard parts is the shift towards whole grains. Right, most of the rice consumed is still highly refined rice. So rice is just staple crop certainly critical. Do you think that we're able to shift towards greater consumption of whole grain rice in Indonesia United, or, or is that also something that might be an easy transition to overcome? Most Indonesian people is really price conscious, so as long as if it's the better alternative are affordable and comparable in price with refined rice, for example, I think it will be no problem. But at the moment, I think it's a big challenge. Mm-hmm. So dinner or meals are a very social event. Uh, if you could choose someone to have dinner with uh, for the conversation as well as for the food, who might you want to invite to your, your dinner table and, and, and why? First one is Elon Musk. He's Elon fan Musk, of him. Yeah. Uh, second one, Keanu Reeves. I don't know, he's just like coming up along recently in the internet and stuff. And the third one... We have to get Keanu Reeves to adopt the planetary health diet. I, yeah. I wonder what challenge that would be. Elon maybe is a bit closer. Yeah. <laughs> my third, uh, just to make it easy, my mom. Nice. And your mom, uh, what does she think about uh, the planetary health diet? Or is this completely part of uh, the menu of what she used to be preparing you when you were a child? And she would still prepare for you now today, I imagine. Yeah. I mean, the good thing is my parents both are not really well off uh, in the past economically so they already have been used eating a lot of plant-based diet even though we could afford more meat on our plate but it's just like we already enjoyed uh, the food uh, plant-based food so what, what inspires you the most about uh, your mother i mean I've, I've got a fantastic mother as well and i think you know a lot of the motivation for my work just her approach to humanitarianism you know her role as a nurse and i think this this passion about health uh, comes from the work that, that she was doing. So to, I think our mothers truly have been a great inspiration. Tell me a bit about yours and uh, what uh, how she inspires you. Yeah, so my mom is uh, one who inspired me to work in something that has social impact because uh, my mom is a counselor in parenting. My dad is working in a humanitarian NGO. So I think that's where I got this some kind of purpose in life that if I do want to business, it has to be good for the environment, society. Yeah, my mom, is she's a, a tough woman. And I'm growing up, receive a lot of freedom to choose uh, about what to do. But she always just emphasis more on the responsibility. If you choose something, be responsible for it. 
finish what you're doing and make sure you give your best to it. So oh, I, I think that's uh, that's really fantastic. And I, th- I think, you know, what you really demonstrate is that the technology and the experience that you have as a, as a technician in terms of developing your product is completely and fundamentally linked to to social justice, to environmental good. And, and I, I, it's really admirable that you've been able to make that link. And I, I hope that the, we remind ourselves exactly that point, but that technology is something that should be used to, to forward and address both both social good. So we're going to wrap up slowly, but uh, what we've been quite impressed at is just the voice of youth uh, in in the streets calling for change and calling for for very real change uh, in terms of both climate action uh, and you know the role of food in that. If you were at the front of a, a protest movement, what's uh, what's your protest sign say? Uh, my protest will be about in, uh, environment. If it's in Indonesia, of course, I will be push government to do something about this deforestation, about the palm oil industries, and make regulation and have more control on the enforcement of it. Also fantastic. So this this need to protect biodiversity and the very unique Indonesian rainforest systems. Let, let's flip that over to, to to conclude. And you know, in addition to the fantastic work that you're doing, what's what's the bright spot? What is it that you find gives you cause to celebrate? You know, progress towards both improving uh, environment and health in today's society. Anything that you find that really uh, is an example to you of that bright spot? Yeah, uh, of course. That's. Uh of course, there's, there's one of them, but the other thing is also be able to opening other opportunity for myself, like, for example, coming to this event and meet the people that I wouldn't otherwise. And yeah, it's just like really interesting platform, not only to make change, but also in personal development for, for myself. Yeah. Right, so this room to collaborate, this room to, to engage. And, and I think, you know, you are one of the inspirations for a lot of people in, in this room. So, so Mushab, it's really been a pleasure to have you here today. Thank uh, you so much. Thanks for coming to, to Stockholm, and we look forward to seeing you again next year, maybe. Thank you.